it's it's not about the money. Um, it's really about creating a lifestyle that I really love. And yeah, I still want to pay some bills. I don't want to freak out when my refrigerator breaks. Of course, I want to make sure my daughter's taken care of, but I don't care about a huge corporate job. I just want to have something that everything I do is kind of related to it, to, to each other. And I have a lot of fun doing it. And it just, it just helps me feel like I'm giving back as well. I mean, I'm building, I'm trying to connect our community and let people know about, for instance, this weekend, a really cool part of Colorado that you don't really know about unless you make an effort to see it. And, um, and it's fun to, you know, I pulled into this thing late at night and then the first person in the morning that I, sh- I see is Tim Brocious, who's the race director at, or was the race director at Ironman who I knew. And now he's the race director of this event. And so we just kind of gave the man hug and hung out and it was great. You know, I mean, that's what it's all about. And you start to build these relationships and, um, and you help each other and it helps the community and it's just a lot of fun. to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey, Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast fans, welcome back. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Runner's High, the only running specialty store here in Golden. You can check them out on the web at runnershighco.com. They've got a shop here in Golden, Colorado, and they just opened a second location in Morrison, Colorado, right there at the base of Red Rocks Amphitheater. So why do I love the folks at Runner's High? Well, Deb and Ken are an incredible couple. Both have extensive running backgrounds and pedigrees. They have a wealth of knowledge and experience. They are the ones that helped me back in 2015 when I started training for my first Ironman and was getting back into running. They put me on their treadmill there in their store and did a running gait analysis, helped me figure out what I needed for both training shoes as well as race day shoes. And I'll just share that they got me hooked on the Hoka 1-1 for training days and on the Newton lightweight running shoes for race day. And this protocol has worked beautifully for me for the last three years. Uh, It's also my only source of running and training nutrition, both during and after I buy my Scratch Labs hydration mix at Runner's High, and they also just got me hooked on the Tailwind Nutrition Vanilla Recovery Mix, which I use after my workouts. So they are fantastic. They will absolutely help you get sorted with your running shoes as well as apparel, and they sell some pretty amazing yoga pants too. They are offering a discount to our listeners. If you mention that you are a Maximum Enthusiasm podcast fan, they'll give you 10% off running shoes and 20% off apparel. You can also just mention the last name Hotman, H-O-T-T-M-A-N, and you will be a friend for life with Runners High in Golden. So again, check them out, runnershighco.com. Hey, you guys. Welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. My name is Megan Hotman. I'm the host of this podcast. And on today's interview, we meet with Bill Plock, the man and voice and writer and owner behind 303 Endurance, formerly known as 303 Cycling. It is the front range cycling and triathlon multi-sport 
media coverage website. And we really talk about all the different ways that he is trying to bring the athletic community together. Uh, more importantly, we talk about the ways that he is living a life that really feels authentic and fun and fulfilling to him by really living lean, uh, living low to the ground in terms of expenses, which has allowed him financial flexibility to uh, make decisions like buying a teardrop trailer for his business and taking it to events that he wants to cover and share with the rest of us. It's a really fun and uplifting interview, and he sheds some really great light on topics that truly do epitomize maximum enthusiasm in terms of just living a life very intentionally and sort of uh, swimming perhaps a bit outside the normal stream of what we would consider the, the corporate um, day job situation. He's navigating his his professional course in a way that is very authentic and fitting for him, really knitting together his love of uh, the sports and being outdoors and being around athletes and connecting communities. So I definitely want to commend Bill. It was fun to have him in the interviewer seat since he is usually the one doing the interviewing. And I've had the great fortune of being a, a host, or I'm sorry, a guest on their 303 podcast, as well as a guest on their garage talk. So today it is April 5th. That's the day that we record our interview. And just a couple of things I want to drop in on you from my perspective. I just finished an incredible, impactful book called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I highly recommend this book. It talks all about the upper limit problem and how so many of us self-impose essentially our own ceilings on our own potentials or our own levels of success. And as we get close to surpassing these superficial limitations that we've placed on ourselves, often subconsciously placed or grown or developed in our young childhood years, developmental years, and sort of unconsciously let them run us as adults. As we bump up against those limits and those ceilings, uh, the author talks about how we often will self-sabotage. We will be doing really, really well in business and enjoying just an explosion of business success or financial success and abundance. And we will start fights with our partners or our spouses and we'll create arguments at home that can create some chaos and basically bring us back to our, our limit that we had set for our overall life happiness or life success. Um, he talks about how we often get sick or have strange accidents where we trip and fall or we hurt ourselves when we're getting close to exceeding our own limits, which I found really interesting. Um, just the various ways that we unknowingly and, and unconsciously sabotage our ability to surpass these superficial limits that we have set for ourselves. The book definitely resonated with me in many ways. And I think one of the biggest takeaways I have was setting aside, setting down the habit, really, of worrying. I'm certainly not suggesting that I have perfected that, but he raises the issue of worrying and how just simply unproductive and destructive it is and how addicting it becomes as a habit. Uh, we think that we're exerting control and all we're doing is just simply worrying and, um, and how much of our capabilities and our capacity and our energy that that consumes from us. Um, it's, really cool. I, again, I can't recommend this book enough. And he asked some really provoking questions. And um, one that I would love to share is as he's asking the reader to explore within your own self, 
what is my unique ability? He prompts that it's a special skill that we're gifted with. This unique ability fully realized and put to work can provide enormous benefits to me and any organization I serve. And the author goes on to say, your unique ability is usually camouflaged inside a larger skill that you possess. You may not even realize that your unique ability is what is driving your success in applying the larger skill. It can often even be something that we take so for granted that we don't even know it's a definable skill. It can be something that we've just always been good at. It can just be this innate ability that we have. And frankly, it can come so easily for us that he suggests we may not even realize that it is this truly unique gift that we have within ourselves. So I really appreciated that and some of the other exercises and questions in this book. So again, it's called The Big Leap. The author's name is Gay Hendricks. Highly recommend. It's a book that I will read several times, um, not just once. Uh, one last note is when he talks about deflecting compliments. That also really resonated um, in terms of the ways that we sidestep when someone tries to pay us a compliment and um, how we diminish the positive energy coming our way when we basically argue with them or put ourselves down instead of graciously accepting the compliment. So I'm trying to be significantly better on that front. Pick that book up and you will not regret it for sure. Um, another really cool and new sort of health hack that I've been playing with the last couple months is wearing a continuous blood glucose monitor. It's a sensor that has a very small thread-like needle um, that implants in the back of the tricep, kind of under the subcutaneous fat. And um, you wear it for a couple weeks and then you remove the sensor and you switch arms and you put a new sensor on. It's this company called NutriSense. And it does come with nutritionist oversight, so you can work with a nutritionist who will help you really analyze your real-time data. Uh, I've learned so much about how my body responds to certain foods at certain times and certain combinations of, say, food and sleep or food and exercise or stress and uh, meditation, for example. Um, I've been eating a lot of grapefruit lately, and... I have noticed that it makes my blood sugar spike like crazy, as you can imagine, because it's a very high sugar um, type fruit. So doing um, a food like that, there's really no other fat or protein that I'm interested in, in pairing my grapefruit with necessarily. So what we've decided works best for me is to consume the grapefruit immediately after exercise because the glycemic window, glycemic window is open right after exercise and that makes the um, blood sugar spike much less likely than if I just sat and ate a grapefruit without exercising. It's just been really insightful. And I've also noticed um, trends with eating too late at night or certain types of foods before bed and what that tends to do to my blood sugar levels at night, which of course, if they are spiking, um, is going to cause extra, uh, let's just say agitation or um, increases the likelihood that my sleep is not as deep or as sound. Um, can cause sleep disruption for sure. Uh, recently painted my bedroom a nice dark color, hung some blackout blinds. I continue to refine and really get crystal clear on sleep hygiene. Um, the temperatures have been increasing where I am, and so the workouts are shifting earlier and earlier in the day to avoid the heat, and so that's altering sleep schedule. And so a big part in my opinion, of living a life of maximum enthusiasm is really 
you know, you can call it biohacking or you can call it whatever you want, but just being very clear on prioritizing sleep, um, good quality nutrition and appropriate food choice and timing. So these things have all really been coming together in cool ways as I'm just getting more and more curious about sort of the rhythms and patterns of my existence in this um, flesh suit that I'm wearing during this life that I've been given. And uh, I guess on that note, I would just add one final tidbit. Um, I recently took one of the online tests or quizzes to decide what my sleep chronotype is. There are really four main types of sleepers. Um, and they are designated as animals. And I am really the bear type where I'm not a super early morning wake up person. I'm not like a 5am person. I'm more of about a 7am person. But when I get up, I am awake and ready to hit the ground running immediately. I don't need like a, a warm up window. Um, and I tend to go to bed, you know, early ish, but not super early and certainly not a night owl. Um, and really what that means for my productivity and what times of day are best for me to exercise, what times of day are best for me to do my, my top level or my best or deepest thinking and my deepest work. Um, so I highly recommend that you give one of those online quizzes a shot. And if you are an employer or a boss or someone running a team of people, I think it would be really curious to have everyone on the team take the test because if you're working with a night owl, for example, and you're consistently scheduling 8 a.m., team meetings, um, that person is going to pretty consistently be on the struggle bus in those meetings, may even be struggling to have recall or really good um, absorption of the information or understanding of what their job or um, task is that's been delegated to them. Um, and so just as I get more and more curious about sleep and um, the way that it affects all of us and the way that we sometimes try to pigeonhole ourselves into certain schedules, it's curious and interesting to me how we can be better served if we allow ourselves the permission to work in our, in our windows rather than just when we've been told we need to. And of course, if you have a boss and they want you at your work at a certain time, I highly recommend that you go to work on time. But these are just things that I'm curious about and things that I note. I just recently finished the Matthew Walker's uh, masterclass on the masterclass.com website. I bought the um, annual unlimited pass. And his class was the first one I watched because he's sort of the sleep expert. So if you've been toying with getting a masterclass pass, I believe I've mentioned this in one of my other intros, but I definitely recommend that you check his out. And the more recent class I've been watching is um, Chris Voss, I believe his name is on the art of negotiation, never split the difference. I'll leave you with this takeaway from his class. He suggests that not asking why is a good question is a good idea because when we ask people why, it is a very defensive question. Instead, he suggests that we ask people what or how. And the way he explains it and the examples he used, uses really makes a ton of sense to me. So as you're having maybe more in-depth or more difficult conversations with the people in your life, see if you can switch why to a how or a what. Uh, how will this... Um, event, you know, impact your business or what are the steps that you're willing to take to get to your goal or instead of why do you want this or why is that your goal? It's been a really interesting um, masterclass and I've I found it very educational. So on those notes, that's just what's in my universe and my swirl right now. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode as always. 
I bring you Mr. Bill Pluck and 303 Endurance. Welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. And today my guest is Bill Plock, owner of 303 Endurance. Bill, welcome to the show. Hi, Megan. Nice to be with you. It's fun to be on this side of the mic for a change and get to sort of relax and be uh, answering questions. Instead of being the host, which is what you're normally doing, yes? <laughs> yeah, and every week or so, yep, we do a show, but... Uh, Actually, I might be more nervous than usual. Oh. It's kind of weird. Oh, so you like to be the questioner and not the answerer, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. You know how it is. Totally. You get used to oh. one side of the mic. Well, thanks for being willing to sit on the other side of the mic with us today. I appreciate it. Absol absolutely. So. My goal is for people to really get to know more about you other than perhaps just the face of 303 Endurance, which is certainly your outward and, and professional facing um, you know, personality that those in the front range cycling and triathlon scene know you as, but there's a lot more to Bill than just what he does for a living. And so uh, let's kick off by you just talking about what you just got yourself into this weekend down in Trinidad. Yeah. yeah so <clears throat> Lifetime Fitness, who, you know, bought 30 cans and changed it to Garmin outward or outbound. And then the, um, Leadville series and many other races, they invited me down for a preview of a gravel race. They're going to be putting on this fall in October. It's a, uh, it's actually a festival to have a trail run and a bike all in the same weekend down in Trinidad. So they invited me to come down and I knew there'd be other people in the cycling space there and, and, people I've been wanting to meet or just be there for fun or whatever. So I cruised on down to Colorado Springs Friday and did some dealer calls with my friend Pat from Primal. That's kind of been our MO lately. And stayed at the wonderful bus Buffalo Bicycle Lodge, yes. which you know very well. <laughs> um, well, I didn't stay there. I should say we had happy hour okay. there. And then I, I took my new trailer-ish, kind of new, and I drove it to down towards Trinidad. I got there about midnight oh and, <laughs> and I pulled into this, uh, the site where we were going to start the, the, uh, the ride the next day, which was the Ludlow massacre Memorial out in the middle of nowhere. I just finished watching breaking oh. bad. So I said, oh, <laughs> I settled in for a night on the prairie and I didn't sleep so well, <laughs> but not. it was all safe. <laughs> so that, that was kind of the start of what was to be a really explorative, fun weekend. Well, let's talk about your rig. Let's back up for a second. And so the listeners can kind of understand what you're talking about, because this is part of the fun. This is the fun part of your lifestyle and where you've really combined your profession with, you know, your adventuresome personality. And so you've got this, do you consider it a teardrop trailer or what, what kind of trailer is that? It technically is a teardrop, so I, I don't know what exactly makes a teardrop. I guess because the somewhat of the shape and the way the back end opens up, and then that's your galley and all of those sort of things. But but this the genesis of the whole thing started about a year and a half ago. Um, you know, I've been trying to monetize three hundred three for a few years here. I bought the company three and a half years ago. You know, we have a couple websites. We do this podcast. We do some video, but it's it's sometimes hard to get my brain around how to monetize everything and I was 
I don't know where I was. I was in Boulder and I was driving by, I was down on 55th Street by Arapahoe and I drove by this place that said Colorado Teardrops. And it just hit me. I just said, that's what I need. I need something that I can go to bike races and triathlons and just set up in the village and have logos on it and just something that's kind of a showstopper. It actually kind of, it, it kind of got in my head a few years ago at Outdoor Retailer show in Denver and I was walking through the show and, um, oh, what's the name of that company? They make, anyway, they make a bunch of luggage and outdoor kind of packs and they had one of those trailers in their booth and they had it all rigged out and I thought how cool it was. So it kind of stuck in my head that I needed a showstopper. So I went ahead and had one made and I look like a brilliant person because of COVID everybody just, oh, oh keep going. Oh, because of COVID, um, I look brilliant because everybody started buying them, but I had actually contracted to do it long before COVID crashed in on us. So I just kind of wanted to make a full circle where people that market with us had an opportunity to have their brand or their product exposed at events that we were going to. And not every brand can be at all these events. So we can be at some of the smaller ones. It's more cost effective. It's something I want to do anyway, because then I can cover the events or let's just hang out. Let's be honest. It's kind of fun, right? Well, I imagine that that's what drew you to become the owner of 303 to begin with is that, yes, it's fun and it's in your wheelhouse of cycling and multi-sport events. And um, it's definitely more than a hobby. It's your profession. So, you know, the desire to monetize it makes perfect sense. but um, yeah, I think it's okay for you to say that you're doing it because it's fun too. I think that's a big driver behind what you do. Is, is that a fair statement? Oh, totally. Because I mean, you know, financially I've, I've put myself into a place where I can take this chance. It's, it's not about the money. Um, it's really about creating a lifestyle that I really love. And yeah, I still want to pay some bills. I don't want to freak out when my refrigerator breaks, of course. I want to make sure my daughter's taken care of, but I don't care about a huge corporate job. I just want to have something that everything I do is kind of related to it to, to each other, and I have a lot of fun doing it, and it just it just helps me feel like I'm giving back as well. I mean, I'm building, I'm trying to connect our community and let people know about, for instance, this weekend, a really cool part of Colorado that you don't really know about unless you make an effort to see it. And, um, and it's fun to, you know, I, I pulled into this thing late at night and then the first person in the morning that I, sh I see is Tim Brocious, who's the race director at, or was the race director at Ironman who I knew. And now he's the race director of this event. And so we just kind of gave the man hug and hung out and it was great. You know, I mean, that's what it's all about. They start to build these relationships and, um, and you help each other and it helps the community and it's just a lot of fun. So a bigger picture theme just came out of that conversation. You know, a few of our guests have said, it's not about the money. It's about living a life that I love. And you know that I feel strongly about that too. And it's really easy to say those things. And then practically speaking, when there are bills to pay and when we are being marketed to and our consumerism mentality, sort of the mass consciousness is always trying to push us back into needing new and more and bigger, you know, finding that point where we have enough and giving yourself the permission and space to do what you're doing. Um, has this always been the Bill Plock approach to life or is this a fairly recent chapter? Or how did you come to be in this headspace of saying, 
I've got enough. I'd like to go do something that's way more meaningful and purposeful than just, you know, bringing in a paycheck. <laughs> I, I, I think it's kind of always been, in, well, I shouldn't say that. It hasn't always been in my MO. I mean, I, I got out of college. I, I kind of wanted to climb the corporate ladder, although I always wanted to be in sporting goods because that was my love. I was, a, I loved basketball still my favorite sport soccer as well i played it played at csu played soccer so i always wanted to get into the sporting good business and particularly i always wanted to sell basketballs as weird as that sounds um yeah so i i actually got into the sporting good business when i was about 25 i friend of mine had this job as the um national sales manager at a rifle scope company here in denver called redfield it's a long history brand. It's been around since 1909. It was one of the leaders in the hunting industry. He was moving on to Nikon, and we were at a party, and I just said, what's going on with your job? And he told me it was open as far as he knew, so I, he told me who to call, and I called this guy, Frank, who owned the company, and I just got myself an interview, and he liked me enough to hire me as a national sales manager with zero experience in the hunting business. I don't even hunt. Didn't you know how to shoot a gun? I just... But I wanted to get in sporting goods because I wanted to sell basketballs. So I thought, I'll start somewhere. Sure. And then? And then um, I was there for five years or so. I, I moved over to the fishing side of the world, which I actually still fish to this day. I always have fished. Grew up fishing with my dad. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, I worked for Eagle Claw Fishing Tackle. I was the national OEM sales manager, so I so I sold fish hooks to people that make lures like Daredevil or Rapala or some of the brands like that. Um, and then I also sold fish hooks to commercial fishing boats, so big long liners out in the ocean. We'd send pallets of hooks along to these ships and uh, major hooks, right, for huge uh, fish. Um, so I had to learn a lot about the fish hook business, which. Most people would think it's pretty simple, but it's actually extremely difficult. Uh, we had, I mean, we had like 10,000 SKUs of fish hooks. Oh, my hooks. gosh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we sold. There's so many kinds of fish hooks. It's unbelievable. They come in different finishes. They're all made here in Denver. Wow. It's actually a pretty no interesting idea. process. Right? Yeah. So that was, that was, then I got married. Well, I mean, I was married, but then we had a, a child and that was probably the big turning point when, um, I, I became a stay at home dad and that was a big shift for me. And so kind of chasing the corporate thing, making good money, but my ex was a surgeon, so she made better sure. money and I traveled a lot. So sure. we kind of had to make that choice of, do we want the nanny thing or do we just one of us stay home? And it really obviously made more sense for me to stay home. Sure. Um, for many reasons, but that, I think that, you know, unfortunately our marriage fell apart. I, I was fast forward eight and a half years. I was, you know, single dad. And I knew that, you know, luckily there was some financial pieces in place that gave me the opportunity to decide what I really wanted to do with my life. And I really like biking. I started teaching spin class when my daughter was just a baby. She's now 17, so been teaching a long time. Got involved with triathlon. Um, I was on the Carmichael Training Systems triathlon team. Had some really great coaching from that company. Um, got decent at triathlon. 
and just wanted to be in that space somehow full-time. So I, I've always liked writing, and I started writing articles for 303 Triathlon and just kind of became more and more involved. I started selling some ads for 303. I was doing some other work within the logistics business on the side just to make actual kind of real money and uh, had a W-2 so I could buy a house. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, had to do that. And then um, I just, uh, you know, at one point had the opportunity to buy 303 and I did, took a chance and trying to make it the next great thing. So on that note, you know, especially on the heels of COVID when so many people are pivoting, whether out of necessity or whether out of having had this incredible opportunity to sort of re-examine their lives that they may not have had otherwise, um, a lot of people are pivoting and shifting. And so there's a lot of people that are probably looking at starting a new enterprise or buying a business or really doing that big scary thing like you just alluded to where you decided to buy a business that fell within your realm of passion but didn't come with any guarantees that it was going to be profitable and and in fact just like every other business could just be a giant sucking sound of money with no you know no income opportunity we never know how a business is going to turn out despite all of those risks it seems like you're loving it and you're thriving in it so what advice would you give people who are in that same position that you were in um, I think you said, what, three and a half years ago when you bought it? Right. I mean, there's no doubt that there's days of trepidation where when I look at the actual dollars and cents, it doesn't always make sense. But I guess you have to just let go and feel confident that you're, you have to believe in your gut. And this is totally fuels my gut. It feels completely right. And yeah, you're right. You can't, you, you kind of have to know your limits, I guess, if, if you will, financially. Um, and for me, I've set myself some, some boundaries of if we don't get here by this time or this savings goes to this number, then I need to do something sure. else. And we're not, we're not there yet. So, right. I, I mean, in terms of having to do something different, I, I'm really confident what we're doing is the right thing. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm sort of a build it and they will come mentality. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I think the advan- the advice I give anybody is if you don't try, you'll never know. And you'll always regret not trying. Amen to that. Amen <laughs> to that. And I think another really nice and smart thing that you've done is the way you've sort of diversified within the brand or within the business. And I think people would be really well advised to, to take some tips away from that too. You know, you don't just run a website that delivers content. You guys also have teed up podcast. You had a video series going there a while um, called garage talks. You have products and businesses that sponsor you. You're driving the trailer around with, you know, advertising opportunities on there as well as advertising on your website. You know, it's multifaceted, um, which I would also, I would assume contributes to multifaceted interest on your part. Do you enjoy managing the various arms of the enterprise? I do very much. And and thank you for being one of Heck our sponsors. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, really that's, that's the goal is that um, the garage talk is still something we do. It's just not been ex- as consistent as the podcast, probably because I have Rich's great help to, to make sure that podcast goes off every week. But Video is a little more of a, a juggernaut to sure. deal with sometimes. Um, but I have a couple of interviews teed up i got to get to at some point soon. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I, that's, again, the trailer was kind of that missing piece where in my head I had this idea like, let's say you're Cliff Bar and 
Cliff Bar advertises on our website, and then maybe they have some nutrition information that becomes an article. So there's another opportunity. Maybe, um, you know, we talk about them on our podcast, but let's say that, let's say that they have this new bar out called Mar Margarita Bar, whatever, some crazy flavor that you're like, whoa, what is that? And you see an ad for it and you've kind of put it in the back of your head, you don't really necessarily click on ads. I don't know who clicks on ads really, right? right? So, so you get to this bike race or triathlon and you see my trailer there and you see the Cliff Bar logo on the trailer and then you walk up to it and you see this margarita Cliff Bar you've been seeing advertised and you're like, oh, and it's, and you can try some. So then you think, okay, well, why not? It's free. I'm a little bit hungry and whatever. So you try the margarita Cliff Bar and you really like it. So now it all sort of makes sense to Cliff Bar why they'd want to advertise in our network. Where, where can I that's, buy one? That's how, <laughs> right. I know, right? Bar. So, <laughs> no, I like it. I, I don't like know. It. And you cover not just in the multifaceted delivery of the product or the brand, as you just explained, but you also cover multifacets of the sports that we have narrowly defined as cycling and multi-sport. But you cover so much more than that. You really you know, you've been interviewing a lot of race directors and especially with COVID navigating those logistics and you feature stories that go beyond just the sports and the races, but sort of the human stories behind, you know, especially athletes, professional athletes, hugely impacted by COVID um, with the absence of events and races. And um, you and I talked at one time, I, it, I think it's one of the most influential on you interviews that you've done to date, which was your interview with the the nun who's done all of these um, Ironmans. Is that a fair <laughs> assessment of that conversation you had with her? Yeah, Sister Madonna Booter and uh, the Iron, a.k.a. the Iron Nun. So good. That was really special. Um, yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, JD of uh, Breakaway Athletics up in Fort Collins, who, JB Tobin, he, um, he owns several events in Fort Collins, and last year, Larimer County was a little more generous with permits for races during COVID. And he had a race in September at Boyd Lake called the Boyd Lake bash. And I, I don't know how exactly it came down, but sister Madonna Booter, who's done 46 Ironmans, she's done Kona, Kona like 19 times. She's been on NBC. She's, you know, she's one of the best known triathletes in the world. She decided to do this race. I don't know if she had a friend in Colorado that knew about it or something. I can't remember the connection, but she, she came out here from Oregon. She's 90 years old. And of course people are really interested to talk to her. USAT wanted to come in and do a story. And JB just said, Nope, you got to talk to Bill. He's That's my official amazing. media guy. <laughs> so I had the whole story to myself. And so I, I took the trailer up to Boyd Lake for the weekend and I met Sister Madonna and her friends on Friday night. Yeah, Friday, because the race was on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. So she wanted to come up, her and her friends, and practice swim and ride the course. So it was just her and Rich and um, <clears throat> JB, of course, and her friends. And we sat around and chatted at the trailer on Friday afternoon. And the sun was going down. And she she was just awesome. And she went for a swim with her friends. And and then they went off into, she invited me out for dinner, but I couldn't make it. But um, 
and she came back and raced and just had an amazing weekend. And, um, that was, it was a really cool interview. Um, my mom had just passed away mm, That's right. and she was 89. Yeah. And so I was talking to this, you know, sister Booter and I don't know, just some, it was like, I was talking to my mom oh, cause she wow. talked about how, yeah, she talked about how she feels like she has one foot in heaven and one foot in life cause she's 90 and she recognizes that you know, she's blessed to be alive and she's ready to not be alive kind of thing. And she's kind of in this transitional phase of, of her life. And she fully, and that, I just felt like I was almost talking to my mom. It was really cool. When you spoke about it afterwards and were telling me about it, I gathered that that was one of the most meaningful and impactful interviews that you've ever done um, inside or outside of 303. Is that, is that one of the top five moments? Yeah, I would say that's a top five moment. I mean, I think that this, it's really been interesting. So she sent me a Christmas card. <laughs> like, wow. So sweet. Um, and then when the shooting happened in Boulder a couple weeks ago, um, I hadn't talked to her or heard from her. I mean, she sent me a card for Christmas. She sent me an email. And just say, hey, Bill, I'm thinking about you. Hope you're doing okay. I noticed the the gunman was from your neighborhood. I hope, you know, everything's wow. okay. I was like, wow. Kind of your little guardian <laughs> angel floating around you, huh? Yeah, I was like, right? I was like, here's a 90-year-old woman living in, you know, Oregon. Obviously, it was a national news story, but to even kind of remember I was from Arvada. Right. That's amazing. And then send me an email. <laughs> I was pretty touched. Are those some of the confirming moments for you? I mean, did you, were you able to sort of take the role of, as an observer of yourself in the midst of that interview and kind of look down on yourself um, and, and reflect on that moment in real time and say, this is why I'm doing this. This is exactly why I'm doing this business. For sure. I think that's definitely one of those kind of moments. Um, I mean, and, and I've had several, I guess, I mean, even including the interview with you in the garage, I thought was, mm. Yeah. was really great because um, I've known you for years and it's, you know, we've ridden bikes and had fun and done that sort of thing, but it was nice to talk about some other right. stuff too. And, and uh, I've had, you know, I love my interview with Dave Toll. That was, def that was really affirming as well because I didn't know Dave hardly at all for those not, for those listeners not familiar. Dave is kind of the cycling voice of almost sure America. Um, right. Race, race announcer. And I sent him an email. Well, Ryan Muncy set it up. He interviewed, he said, hey, you should talk to Bill sometime. And and so I sent Dave an email and said, hey, I would love to get you on Garage Talks. And um, he lives in Fort Collins. And he just said, sure, I'll come down. I'm like, wow. So he drove down to my house for just to do this. And we had an, a wonderful conversation. It was a really, really good interview. And we've kind of been become friends That's since. That's so cool. Um, so stuff like that. And then this weekend really, I think it was another one of those aha moments because when I had the vision of that trailer and how it could be part of a, a scene, exactly what happened this weekend was, was what I envisioned, like people hanging out, you know, I helped Tim cook some brats and, you know, I was just there to be, add some kind of coolness to the event and, 
and I was just, it was a gathering place and people were coming over and checking it out and looking at it. And, and then later after the, after the ride on Saturday, I went to, um, back, you know, into Trinidad and went to this bar where we all gathered and, and this guy, Howard, who owns the Moose's bar in Trinidad, he, I started talking to him and he pulls out this atlas and shows me all these routes and we're talking about mining life and this and that. Well, I had just been in Victor oh, right. a few weeks ago. <laughs> that was another yeah. fun story. And and this guy named Brian Hayes, who's a legendary person in Victor, he's 78 years old and he was the last hard rock miner mining for gold. And he got, um, he's a big hockey player. He grew up in Minneapolis and he secured like $600,000 worth of money to build a hockey rink in Victor, Colorado, a town of Amazing. 400 people. <laughs> but he's also a big cyclist. He's done Leadville 100 for like 10 times, Leadville 59 times on a single oh, wow. speed. Uh, yeah. And he has a bike ride up there um, that goes down Phantom Canyon to Florence over to back to Canyon City and then up Shelf Road called Brian's Folly. That amazing. It's on second Saturday, second Saturday of May, by the okay. way, if you want to come oh, down, yeah. I'm going to do it. And um, anyway, this guy in in um, Trinidad and I were talking, he goes, I said something about Victor and he goes, Oh yeah, Brian's folly. Do you know about that? And I'm like, yeah, actually I was just there talking to Brian himself. So it's funny when you connect all these dots, you know, and it, it just makes it another affirmation of why I'm doing this. Well, yeah, you're not only connecting these really cool dots in amazing ways, but you're also shining a light on things that have previously gone unnoticed. And it's because the big events with the big dollars are the ones that reach most people's eyes. But I think especially from, as a result of COVID myself included, many athletes are looking for something else, something different than just the big branded, you know, notorious events. They're looking for smaller grassroots connections to humans and community. And that's exactly what you're talking about with this thing in Trinidad and this thing in Victor. And, but for you being out there exploring and meeting these people, I don't think many of us would ever, hear much about some of these smaller things. Um, this one in Victory mentioned sounds really cool. So I'd love to learn more about that for sure. And uh, I can only imagine that that is pretty affirming as you're out kind of connecting these really cool dots in very unexpected and unforeseeable ways that that's got to feel pretty great. And you're just such a, you know, affable, like friendly, connecting kind of guy to begin with. So I'm sure that that comes quite easily to you. And I'm sure it's been reflected to you that you're a really good interviewer as well. So it's probably kind of nice even to see some of your skill sets being utilized in this enterprise of yours. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and true. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know what it is. I think I, I've kind of come to this place where, I mean, I've traveled around the world a lot. I've, my parents actually lived in Saudi Arabia when I was in high I school. Probably some most yeah, most people don't probably know that. Um, I actually lived here and I lived with neighbors and I lived with my aunt and uncle wow. and I would travel to Saudi Arabia to see them. Um I've had played on a couple of soccer teams. I went to Europe. I've just had lots of travel experiences and and those are wonderful, but I think I think so and I think COVID has really made this happen. People I mean, you've seen all the RVs and the campers and the, you know, people are all of a sudden they're like, oh, we can't go to Europe anymore. Oh, we can't go to Canada. Well, I guess we better go west into the mountains. Yeah. We better go, right? But I, I still think people overlook 
so many cool things on their way to Vail or Aspen or, you know, there's so much more to this state that people just don't know about. And there's some great stories out there. I mean, get, I, I'm so encouraging people to get off the I-70 For corridor. Sure. For sure. Right? Go to the and, smaller, less populated places and learn the magic there that you've been missing. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's, I don't know. I just, I sometimes I don't want to share right, all these stories right. or places because I want to keep them that way. Right. But, but, you know, I think like this guy in Trinidad, they're super excited for this race because that city's been very up and down for yep. years. And they're, they're just dying for something that sticks yep. to help really solidify the economy. And Victor's, who knows? I mean, you drive to Victor and you think you see so many burned out buildings, but there's so many buildings. And you're like, well, gee, I could pick this up for $60,000. Right. But then maybe you can't sell it for $60,000 for 10 years. I don't know. But it feels like there's something there. Yeah. And whether it's COVID or whether it's people's desires to explore more off the beaten path. I mean, I guess I would just say with gravel specifically, with the advent of gravel cycling and racing, and we see a bit of a dwindle of an interest on the road cycling side of things, um, gravel is potentially going to save a lot of these small communities. We certainly saw that with Emporia, Kansas, where formerly known as Dirty Kansas, now the Unbound is their biggest moneymaker of the entire year for that entire community. And it may very well be the same thing for Trinidad, um, places like Victor hosting these bike races where people are inclined to go because it's amazing gravel. And suddenly the town gets to receive a huge influx of money and visitors. And that's good for the local economy. And I think we want to save our small towns. We don't just want big cities with expanses of nothing in between them. Um, and as we saw with COVID and the exodus from big cities and people looking for open space and less populated places, you know, we all benefit sometimes from spreading ourselves out a little bit. So, uh, right. so that's pretty cool that you've been covering some of those small communities. And I know the other big thing with Trinidad, um, just with being on the Trust for Public Land Board, that new Fisher's Peak park that's going in down there is going to be pretty rad as well. There will be miles and miles of mountain biking down there. It's not, that part's not built yet. You can hike there but you can't camp or mountain bike yet but um yeah we need more of that don't we yeah i mean not to totally beat trinidad up here not beat him up but just move on at some point here but it, it is fascinating because you've been there it's it's actually a decent sized yes. town and and it, i i just wrote this article about it it's like why is this not bigger i mean you've got two state parks now within 10 miles You've got a, you've got the Amtrak train that comes through. You've got um, I twenty five clearly. You've got a college. Um, did you know there's not a bike shop in town? I did not. That's crazy. So the closest one is what, I mean, like Colorado Springs, then or Pueblo? Pueblo. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's like a little bike, like some guy that has a you know kind of a garage that he can fix bikes, oh. but it's not. There's not a shop in town. Well, that seems like. Now, can you imagine Moab with no, no bike shop? That's crazy. I mean, there. to me, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's funny because we were sitting outside at this at the Mooses at the Lifetime Crew. There's probably like 15 of us sitting out there after the ride, and <laughs> there was this guy, and he was sitting kind of at the end of this open patio area, and 
and he had on a kind of a funky hat and he had these two little poodles at his feet probably i don't know 70 years old hard to tell what kind of athlete he may have been in his day and he was just sitting there and somebody made that comment about a bike shop and he hollers over and goes hey if you guys can get a bike shop in here that'd be awesome oh, wow and we're like didn't see that coming <laughs> like, wait what no turns out he's like a major mountain biker he's done uh, all these races he's done a marathon oh, wow. he's like he goes we so need a bike shop here it was it was really awesome that's got to be one of those moments goes, too huh yeah. And he goes, you know what? And there's no bike lanes here. What's up with that? I moved here from Texas. We need bike oh, lanes. Wow. Oof, the world needs so, more of him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what else don't people know about Bill Plock? I, I mean, I had no idea that your parents were in Saudi Arabia while you were in high school and that you were living with other folks and popping back and forth. I mean, what do you think? What are some other, I had no idea that you'd played collegiate soccer either. Um, so I mean, I guess that begs the obvious question. What brought you to triathlon and cycling from a ball sport? Was that an injury-related transfer? No, okay. not really. I mean... Or did spin class start that, or where did that come spin, from? Spin, okay. yeah, spin class definitely started that. I think, well, well, in some ways, there was an injury involved, I guess. So my ex-wife, she she started kind of dabbling in okay. triathlon, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then she was doing spin classes at the Y. And I was like, why are you doing spin classes? You but never whatever. sit on a stationary bike, right? Famous last words <laughs> exactly. for you and I both. <laughs> yep. And I was playing men's soccer and co-ed soccer and playing ultimate frisbee and running okay. a lot on grass fields. And I got plantar fasciitis. Ah. Right? And so I'm like, crap, now I, gotta go sit I need on to do some kind bike. of... Exactly. So I, I agreed to go to a spin class with her and check it out. And I thought I was going to die and I let my calves cramped and, um, but at the same time, I kind of, uh-huh. so I started going more and more. And then one day I thought I kind of want to teach one. Well, I started making mixed CDs for one of the teachers because I wanted Listen to, to your music. just try that. Yeah. And then I said to myself, I'm going to just teach one of these classes. And then I started teaching. I loved it. And one thing led to another. And I'd always ridden bikes. I mean, I'd always ridden mountain bikes. Um, but I found I'm more of a flowy trail guy. I'm not a technical bike guy. I mean, I've done, um, you know, Moab and I've done Slick Rock and I've done, you know, some of the local technical trails like White Ranch or Mount Falcon or some of those. But I really like the flowy longer ones. And I kept riding longer and longer bike path rides on my Mm -hmm. mountain bike and i'm like wait a minute maybe i'm a road bike person really at heart and so i bought a road bike when our daughter was born so i could pull her around in the trailer and that was my first road bike ever and uh just started doing that and then i tried a triathlon and i was decent at it and got interested we had some friends that were doing ironmans and we thought why are you doing Mm -hmm. ironmans and uh and then of course, then of course you, did one. you sign up for one <laughs> in 2010 i did my first iron man um so which one was that but i in iron man okay. arizona was the most terrifying moment of my oh, life so. that op- that open water oh, swim sure. was just ridiculous because yeah. i you've uh-huh. done it have you have you done it when it was an open water nope. fresh a swim nope. start i've only done it with yeah so starts. that yeah. So the, yeah. 
So it was like the scene out of Titanic, right? We jump off the edge, swim about 300 yards to some open area of that lake. The sun is barely up. It's cold. Treading water. Everybody gets closer and closer together. And then that gun goes Whoa. off. Oh, my gosh. 3,000 people just beating each other up. It was terrifying. That's and anyway, then you did so how many just, more of those then? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And keep doing them. I've done eight okay. all together. And does yeah. that include Kona? And, uh, I know you've been there as a 303 officiant, but have you been there as a racer? I okay. have not. I've, I've, so those are a couple of defining moments maybe people don't know. I will, I would say that, um, I would say Iron Man was kind of a love hate sort of thing. What's um, that? And if I'm being really honest here, I think training for an Ironman was the easy way to not deal with my unhappiness. Mm -hmm. And so I could go ride 80 miles and go run a 20 mile brick or, you know, just beat myself up every day and go to bed at night feeling like I accomplished something. But in the end, I really didn't accomplish much of anything other than getting in shape. So how did that all come to a um, head then? Where was that moment of, clarity um, I think uh, I think probably um, probably Ironman Boulder 2015 I, 2014 was the first Ironman Boulder and that went okay I didn't have the best day but I was kind of going through a really tumultuous relationship. And so 2015, somehow I just put it together and um, had the best race of my life. And I remember I was running down the Boulder Creek path and um, the woman that I, that we'd broken up just a few months before that race. And she she got engaged like a few, not long after we'd broken up to someone brand new in her life. And I'm like, wow, mm. I guess all that was for nothing. Right. <laughs> so I was, I was probably a little upset, a little neg negative, but anyway, I'm running down the Boulder Creek path and I hear her voice said something like good job, Bill or something. I look over and I see her and I'm like, Oh, and I'm like, cool, whatever. And I and she was with her boyfriend slash fiance or whatever they were in their relationship. But I was like, it didn't phase me. Mm. Like I was just in the I was in the moment. Like I was really doing well. And I think I said to myself, I'm doing this now for the right reasons. Okay. And this really happy. And I I had a I ended up fifth. Wow. And um I missed Kona by three oh. minutes. And so that was a bit Ouch. difficult. Sure. <laughs> but I went to Kona that year and I was, so I wouldn't say I've completed my transformation, but I was feeling more on the path of feeling good about what I was up to. So I was going to Kona and I, I was kind of bittersweet because I thought, geez, I should be doing this race rather than just taking pictures with it, you know? And that was a little bit of a weird feeling um but i think i came i think the whole thing came to fruition in 2016 when i i went back to boulder hoping to qualify for kona i had a decent year of training um 
I remember I got on the bus at whatever time, 3.30 a.m. to go to the Boulder Res, and Dave Kristen, the race director, got on that bus too, and um, he taps me on the shoulder, and he looks right, right in my eyes, and he says, Bill, this is your year, man. Oh. I just feel it. And I'm like, okay, I hope so. And so it wasn't my year. I actually had a terrible oh, shoot. race. <laughs> yeah, it was just like I wasn't even close. It was just the wheels fell off on the oh, run wow. and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, yeah, it's kind of bummed. But so I go to Kona and it hit me there. And that's where I think everything sort of fell into place. Like I'm watching people on Alihi Drive just suffering and it's hot and I'm hot. I'm suffering, but for different reasons. And I'm like, you know, this is just another race. I mean, at the end of the day, when the gun goes off, it's just another Ironman. I mean, it still hurts. It's the same distance. It's hotter than most Ironmans. And yeah, it'd be probably feeling different across the finish line. I get that. But it's also just, it's just a more expensive version yeah, of something I've already that's done. True. <laughs> so I'm saying to myself, well, who do I have to prove anything mm -hmm. to? Right? And it, I think that the nail in the, the final nail in the coffin was, I was walking onto the plane. This was on Monday. So the race has been over for two days. And there was a guy walking in front of me with his family. And he looked to be similar in age, maybe. And he, um, his family, I would say, was not nearly in the same physical condition he was. And he was walking onto the plane holding a bowl that you get if you finish in the top five. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. The the race was two days ago. Like he was holding the bowl like someone would hold the, the blood of the wine and going down the aisle at church, you know? And I was like, wait, wait a minute. That should be in your carry-on, dude. Like, who are you impressing uh. here? Right? Defining like, him in some way, huh? You're like 50 years old and you're holding this bowl like nobody in this plane will, like everybody has to like give you kudos or something. It's like, no, mm. that's not who I want to be. That's a real moment right there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that kind of, that kind of said, I said, you know what? There's much more to life, so... And that was how many? Oh, so that have been 20, 2016. You bought three, three. So I took 2017 okay. off and didn't do an Ironman. And then I thought, well, I'll just do one for fun, which I I, I kind of did an off-the-couch Ironman in 2018. Okay. And was it fun? And that was kind of miserable. No. Yeah, it was fun, though. It was a, it was a, it was a blast. I, my daughter joined me for the last few miles of my run. And, um, I mean, she couldn't go across the finish line, sure. of course. But, um. Yeah, boulders, boulders, I'm sad that race is gone because it's really fun to do that when it's kind of your hometown and people right. you know and whatever. So, yeah, it was fun. I mean, it hurt, but it was hot. Oh, my God, it was hot. It was 103 degrees running down J Road on blacktop. Ooh. It was miserable. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. At some point in there, I'm hearing that you really kind of got okay being someone who can enjoy the sport without concern for the finishing place and almost like you're enjoying more becoming now the spectator and sharing the sport with people in a different way. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I don't know if that just is natural as you, you know, get older or if it's, because I was, I've been thinking about that a little bit. Um, like even on this bike ride this weekend, I, I'm just not as in good a shape as I used to be. Right. I mean, it's just no two ways about it. Um, but I'm still in good, in pretty decent shape, but you know, some people blew by me and I'm like, eh, all right, whatever. I mean, it doesn't bother me like it used to. And I started thinking about how is that transition happen? And I can kind of remember the days in basketball when there, there, I don't even know when the moment was, but I finally said, I guess I just can't play with these young guys anymore. You know, it's, it's okay. Like we all have our place in life and it's okay to be where you're at and enjoy it and push where you want to push and don't push where you don't want to push. Right. Priorities shift. I don't know that it's age specific. I think it's more that you're enjoying other aspects of life enough that you don't want to give them up to go back to being singularly focused, which is what it takes to be as good as you used to be. That there's more things that you want to spend your time and energy on. That's what I'm hearing anyway. Well, you're, you're right. I mean, and 303 is a big part of that. Um, clearly I, I think it's, and I think if I'm, being honest with myself, I guess, I, I think there's a part of me that I've always been an overachiever type of guy. I was the, you know, I was the coach's dream come true, kind of a player. I would do anything you asked me to. I was pretty good at every position in soccer, for instance. And I played goalie in college. I played forward in college. I mean, I could do, but I was never the best, but I was good, you know? And so I think there's a big part of me that has a desire to, look back at, at a, at a career and say, I was successful. And, and what does success mm -hmm. mean is the question. I can ask right? you that. What does it look <laughs> like to you right and, now? You know, to me, success comes from inclusion. Um, it doesn't come from money. It comes from things like this last weekend where I was included with others to, tell a story or I was in, or I was thought of to be an expert in this, or I'm thought of as, gosh, this, you should ask Bill to, to come talk to you guys, or you should have Bill interview this guy. Or to me, it's when opportunities come along very often. And um, I feel like there's an important role that we're playing at 303 and myself included and Rich and Kim and, some of our ambassadors and um, contributors, when people come asking for opportunities, to me, that's success. And really, you've put yourself in a position to be able to say yes to things. Because if you had some other more traditional employment that was tying your hands, you wouldn't have the flexibility or the opportunity maybe to be able to say, well, sure, I, would, I will totally meet you at Trinidad and I'll drive there and get there at midnight. And so you, I mean, I think that's a big part of this whole magical, bigger discussion is how does one put themselves in a position to be able to say yes to as many things that light them up as possible? And so how have you positioned yourself to do that? I mean, obviously time flexibility is one of those things and being okay with making, I think you said it at the beginning, perhaps less money or at least stopping the consistent chase of money as the ultimate pursuit. But but generally speaking, how do we position ourselves to say yes to those things that light us up as often as possible? Um, 
I mean, there's definitely factors involved in terms of past financial success, maybe, or, or in my case, I live pretty simple. Like, I don't, I've never, I've never had debt in my life. I've, I've, ne- I've only one time in my life let a credit card balance go for a month. And that was, that was my, when I first got out of college, I had $800 in the bank. And, but I always paid my bills, always. And so um, I bought a, my very first bike. This was in San Francisco. I had a, I got a job out of college to be an assistant store manager at Sherwin-Williams Paint in Fremont, California. So I, I said, sure, I'll take it. So, cause Denver was dying back then. And so I just, I just needed a job. So I, I took a chance. I was dating what would then become my wife. She was one year behind me at CSU. And I thought to myself, well, let's just see how this relationship, how this, what kind of legs this has. And then I'm going to take this job opportunity, move to, to the most expensive city in America, practically. And, um, and basically got almost no extra money to do it. And so I moved to California and, um, I bought a specialized rock hopper and it was $459 and I, it was like half of my savings, but I just wanted to ride. I need something to do. And, um, so I let that credit card go one month and I saw how much interest I paid for that $459 bike. That never happened. I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm like, dang it. I could have bought some shoes and a water bottle with that, bought that interest or whatever. Right. So I would, I would never have carried a balance since. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just being, you know, sometimes you set yourself up by your past and you don't even know it until you get yeah. there, right? So for me, it's just been very lucky to have that sort of mindset of keeping things simple. Um, the most new clothing I've bought over the years has been to do bike stuff, yep. right? Or be outside. It has, there's not fancy. I have one suit and I bought it when I was training for an Ironman, so it doesn't even fit anymore. It's really oh. depressing. Well, thankfully. So don't buy clothes when you're training. I know. I I hear that. (laughs) So, but no, I think it is just, you know, you, you, you kind of live and die by your past sins sometimes. And I've been able to financially stay lean and mean and be able to pivot on things. And yeah, and COVID, I mean, we had some nice contracts all set up for COVID and they just went away. And so I thought, okay. Well, who is 303? I mean, what do we do that others don't? You know, our race, our calendar was a disaster because everything got moved. And I, I realized people weren't looking at it much anyway. So I started thinking about, well, let's connect the community more. Let's find great stories. Let's let's highlight people like yourself, Dave Toll, Sean, Sean at um, Brack, or Pete Piccolo at Bicycle Colorado, or you know, lots of different people over the last year that people don't really know. Why not? You've done a great job with it. And you've hinted at least that those stories have had some traction. I mean, have you seen actually an increase in interest in the human stories that you're telling versus just the sort of tried and true race coverage or how does, how do they compare? Oh yeah. Hugely much more interesting. And, and also what happens is they, they feed on each other a little bit. So like I was at a, the, we ride four group, which is a group of like 400, eh, 350 
cyclists that came from the Wish from yeah. Wheels group, and um, I've gotten to, to work with them a lot. And I went to one of their bike rides a couple of weeks ago, and this woman, and I'm spacing her name, and Aaron? I'm sorry. No, it's not. It's a. Uh, it another. I don't remember her name, but she overheard me talking, and she goes, "Oh, I know that voice." And she came over, and says, "Oh, you're the one that interviewed Tom Miller, who was this guy that um, had um, uh, embolism, pulmonary embolism." And do you know Tom? I by don't chance? know. So. He's with RMCC, Rocky Mountain Cycling Club. He's one of those guys that rides 200 miles. He's um, he's rides with Mark Lowe. You might know Mark. I don't know. But anyway, Tom, I met years ago at Weird Cyclery. He looks like, well, his body is like Steve Gronkowski. I mean, he's just Gronk. He's just big. He's like 6'6". Six, six. He's looks like a tight end. And um, anyway, he... Uh, super nice guy and he wrote on his facebook page how he was lucky to be alive because mark lowe who's a pa they were riding together in steamboat and tom had been having all these issues with his heart or his stamina and he thought maybe something was going on with his heart so mark said you're in, let's go let's get to the hospital right now so they go in and they took all these tests and everything was fine and then mark ordered i forget what kind of lab it was but it showed that he was having all these blood clots in his oh lungs. my goodness and it's because he had a deep vein thrombosis that he'd been having this knee pain and he didn't know why. And then he was looking at Strava and he kept seeing his numbers drop and sort of like, sort of like Walt. That's what I'm thinking and, of too. Yep. And so he, he got it diagnosed and started on blood thinners and all this stuff. And so I, I sent him a message that, Hey man, I'd like to interview you. And I went over to his house. This was last fall, I guess. And he, and he gave me this amazing interview. It was our most watched interview of the year wow. by far. Yeah. And so this woman had seen it and she goes, I, and it was, she found out she had the same thing. And so she thanked me for the interview and it really made it a lot, you know, really made a lot of sense for her. And so those kinds of connections, I hear those things a lot. Literally. Different people will, hey, I read this article about, you know, the Victor thing has been pretty interesting. Like the marketing person at Wheat Ridge sent me a note, God, I'm loving this Victor coverage, you know, or I want to meet Brian or you, your interview was one of our best too. And people are like, ah, oh, I didn't know that about Megan, you know, that kind of stuff. So it, I know people pay mm -hmm. attention. And it's resonating more and, than just the sort of tried and true semi-superficial coverage of just races and athletes, like professional athletes. People are loving more about their community and the actual, the real stuff, the vulnerability stuff, the authenticity stuff. Right. And I will say it comes with, it's hard as a business owner because I know that I need to have a better calendar. I know I need to have resources that are plain and simple. And, and there's a lot of people that are new to cycling and new to Colorado that I need to make sure I take care of as well. And they, yeah, they may like the stories, but you know what? They want to know where they're going to go buy a bike or they want to know what events are coming up. They don't know Victor, Colorado, nor do they care. They just need some resources. So I have to make sure I balance that and not let my passion for the real cool stories get in the way of spending time going back through and making sure we have the, the you know, A, Bs and Cs as well. And that's that's a struggle. I, I will readily admit it. Um, 
the shiny object syndrome, whatever you want to call it. It's hard. To, it's hard to do QuickBooks. It's hard to put things in the calendar, which seems so mundane, but it's it gets lost. Yeah. Well, that was that was one of the last questions I wanted to ask you. Was really in that vein. You know, what are some of the things about this enterprise or this position where you're covering races? Sometimes you're covering controversial events. Um, you know, varying. Uh, race promoters or the ownership of certain race series is sort of being in conflict with one another. I mean, I imagine you've had to navigate some things that you maybe didn't anticipate having to navigate when you bought this. Uh, I saw recently you posted on Facebook something about how you were really trying to find your own voice and you have things that you want to say, and yet you're, you're, you're conscious of the fact that you don't want to polarize people or, or disenfranchise one half or the other of a particular issue. You know, I think you were specifically referring to bike racing or something in triathlon at the time, but you know, are you, are you finding that that's difficult for you to use your own voice and at the same time also be this somewhat neutral owner of this media source? And is that, is that hard? It is hard because <clears throat> so with doing all these different stories we just talked about, you, you realize pretty fast that, you know, we're not, Channel 9, we're not huge, we're not NBC or something like that, but we do carry some responsibility, right? We we do have, when we do say things, it matters, and people expect us to tell the truth, mm -hmm. and they expect us to tell, um, to be somewhat neutral. I mean... Obviously, we're going to have a slant towards cycling. That's that is okay because that's what we do, or triathlon. I mean, I think that's fair, you know. But but it is hard because um, bike bike cycle, you know, auto cycling collisions and um, situations get tough for me. Um, yep. I because I one time had someone tell me, "Gosh, I look at three hundred three, and all I see is." people getting hit uh, by bikes. And, and so I, I uh, started thinking about that a little bit and it's hard because, you know, how much do you, you know, put, publicize those sort of things and are you actually contributing to the fear factor? Boy, can I relate to that debate? Um, right. And, and then I, and then I started getting in my head about, well, what is, what's a cyclist versus, let's say, I mean, this has happened. Let's say it's um, somebody's, I don't mean to pick on a homeless person, but let's say it's someone who's homeless walking their bike and they get hit because they stumbled into the road and a car hit them. Is that a cyclist getting hit by a car? Yeah, he had Do a bike. Or don't you cover it? Mm -hmm. Right. So those kinds of debates are, tough for me and to um, your point talk about one, it the more it can incite the fear and then we shy people away from something we're trying to get them into and honestly that's true for being the business owner of any enterprise right is just deciding just deciding um i think when you're a public figure of any kind regardless of the extent or the size of your influence when you're putting yourself out there in front of people as you're doing with 303 um, you inherently subject yourself to more criticism than you would if you were just laying low, doing some desk job, um, you know, not putting yourself out there. 
And I imagine that that has been maybe more of a magnifying glass than you perhaps expected when you bought the business. Or at least to me, that would seem like something I would probably underestimate if I had bought a business like yours um, and then things like that. You know, or even just people are nasty in comments regardless, right? So you get to see that just because yeah. you're running a media site. You probably see a lot more of that than the average bear. So, you know, how do you positive yeah. or how do you say, uh, you know, do you just block the trolls or sort of what's your approach to just any of the kind of online vitriol that comes your way? Well, it's been pretty little, honestly, and I actually think that is not necessarily great. Like I kind of, I come sometimes think we should stir the pot a little bit. And I think part of our success is actually getting more people being critical. Gotcha. <laughs> so I, I sort of, I sort of welcome maybe that opportunity. And I find myself as I get, I think more and more comfortable with who I am and what we're doing, feeling a little bit more like making more opinion oriented um, articles and saying, this is how, this is what I believe. This is what 303 believes. And and I did write an article about Iron Man versus PTO and tried to kind of put both sides out there and, and not criticize, but just say, Hey, here's where I see this. Um, and it was really my thoughts. And I was really gratified when I went uh, to see Dave Kristen, Oh, just a few weeks ago, he sent me an email so Dave Kristen was the original Ironman Boulder race director and he's regional director with Ironman. And he's been around a long, long time and very, very well respected in race directing and great guy, just a great guy. And um, we've kind of bonded over the years in Kona. He actually took my daughter and his, he took us by, by the hand and said, let's go look at some ice cream because she happened to be with me in Kona. And he taught her the difference between really good ice cream and not so good ice cream. How you can always oh, tell. Funny. Yeah, can you can always tell if it's home. Well, I guess it was a homemade ice cream because it's always in a plastic tub if it's homemade because they don't want to oh, throw away okay. the container. I see. <laughs> anyway, um, he sent me an email and says, hey, come talk to me. I'm like, okay. So I walk in the door and he goes, I just need to tell you some things personally is that we're, my family's moving back to New York and I just wanted you to tell me. I mean, I wanted to tell you myself in person. And, um, and he said, you know, you're one of those people that – he goes, I trust you like hell. Like he tells me, or any, he's like, he'll tell me anything knowing that I'm right. discerning enough when to think public sure. and when not to be. Really but he, he really complimented me on that article because yeah. Iron Man has been getting bashed pretty oh. publicly with some of the ways they've handled deferment of races and things like that. And, and I wrote something like, you know, there's a lot of really great people at Iron Man who – are trying really hard to make this happen. Um, something like that. And Dave goes, I really felt like you were talking to me when I read that article. He goes, I read everything you write. Cool. And he's never, never commented, never, but it's just nice that people do that. Right. Yeah. That's, it you makes probably you feel, don't even know how many people read your stuff if they're not making comments. So that's kind of nice to have that reflected back to you from sort of the silent reader. Right. So, but maybe sometimes I need to, throw a little bit more of my opinion in, in there and just stir up some people from the depths a little bit without getting the crazies, but just to, just to create some banter, you sure. know, that can be good for business sure. too. 
Well, on that note, let's close with uh, really what you what you presently stand for. What do you and 303 at this particular season and moment in time? What do you what do you stand for? What's the what's the impact you're hoping to have? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think for, we stand for uh, opportunity and adventure, and and just you know that that goes between beyond racing it goes beyond biking and triathlon it goes to life in general and i think 303 is about connecting the community and and helping that community be more adventurous and just more out there and if someone wants to contact you if they want to get involved with 303 as a sponsor or contributor what's the best way for them to do that send me an email email. um bill at 303colorado.com and the the primary yep. website, you guys kind of merged the try and the cycling side together. It's now 303endurance.com, correct? No, it's, no, it's still 303cycling.com. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but eventually, yeah, that's that's a whole nother podcast. Okay, <laughs> okay. fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Okay, so 303cycling.com, and then they can find your garage talks on YouTube, and your podcast is called what? The 303 Endurance Podcast, which is at any iTunes or anything, and the YouTube channel is 303TV, and there's links to all that on 303cycling.com. Great, great, great. And we will reference those in our podcast show notes today as well, so people can click great. in on those. And just want to say thanks for your time, Bill. Thanks for being on the other side of the mic and letting us get to know you a little bit better. Well, it's my pleasure. I was really flattered you asked, yeah. and it's uh, been a lot of fun. Anyone who's living a life of... Um, Teardrop trailers and small town exploration is definitely living a life of maximum enthusiasm, in my opinion. (laughs) Good deal. (laughs) Take care out there, Bill. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.